he remains. He doesn't back away. He doesn't cast blame or tell me I shouldn't be this way. No, he chases me down, picks me up off the ground. He carries me home. He cleanses my wounds. He covers my scars. And he says, she has captured my heart, my beloved, my bride. She has captured my heart with one glance of her eyes. He says he delights in me. He says he would fight for me. He says he would die for me all over again. Yes, he would give his body, his blood, for his body, his bride, the church, his beloved, for whom he laid down his life. She is broken, but beautiful, imperfect, but radiant, stained, but stunning, scarred, but sacred. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Thumbs up. Nice. (laughs) Uh, We're going to get this morning uh, started, so if you can, uh, if you feel like it, you can stand with us, um, and we will just position ourselves in the, uh, for this time of worship, so. A torrent of destruction hid my darkened soul from rescuing. I cried to God for help, he heard my voice.
mighty Savior and Redeemer. You're forgiving and gracious. I just want to thank you for this community, for this time, for these people that are ready and willing to serve you and praise you. And I just ask that your will be done in this time and in this gathering. Amen. Say sometimes, uh, welcome Common Ground commoners and all those who don't commonly call Common Ground, they're commonplace. Uh, and uh, it's good to have you all here. We, we want to start off by saying, hey, happy Pops Day. Happy, happy Father's Day. Uh, we know that just like Mother's Day, it's one of those days where uh, it can be a little complicated celebrating it. I mean, for me, I get to uh, celebrate as a dad and as a granddad, but at the same time, I miss my dad. And so it's a Father's Day without him. And I know that that kind of brings complicated emotions, but we really, truly hope that it's a blessed day uh, for all of you. We have a few things that we want to just share with you of things that are going on here at Common Ground Church or around Common Ground Church so that you're aware of them and you can jump in and participate with them. And one of those things is the very last Hallowasa workday for this year. <laughs> for this year. And the reason it's the last workday is because camp is starting. And so this is kind of the last big push, the last chance that we have to really help them get things going so that they can uh, provide a wonderful three weeks of camp ministry to uh, elementary age, middle school aged, and high school aged people. So if you'd like to help out with that, it's July 2nd. That's a Saturday. We'll be meeting here at 8 o'clock to carpool down to the camp property, which is near Hot Springs, or you can drive yourself there and we'll start about 9 o'clock and uh, lunch will be provided. So come work, come eat, just come have a great time with one another as you uh, bless this camp as they prepare to bless kids. And then coming up this Wednesday at 6.30, we're going to have a time for tech training. We want our people who help out with tech, and if you'd like to do that, you can sign up and join us in that. Uh, we want you to be comfortable running the machines and things like that, running the software, and also knowing how to set up and tear down. All of this equipment here, because we share this space with a the local theater, uh, sometimes we can't just leave church up and running. So uh, we want to show you how that's done. And again, that's Wednesday at 6.30, and dinner will be provided. I see a theme developing here. When something happens, meals are provided. Now, something else we want you to know about is we now have a greeting team and uh, if you walked into church today, you may have noticed Mark and Carol Cole manning the greeting station because they're so good at that, right? They're wonderful at that. And so they're kind of heading up that team. And if you would like to help out with the greeting team, uh, get in touch with Mark or Carol or Evan or myself, and we would be glad to help you connect with that. Because like I said, uh, a lot of us are kind of familiar with how things work here. But not everybody is. And so we want people, when they walk in the doors here, uh, to have their questions answered, uh, to, uh, to feel comfortable, and especially uh, to feel welcome. We hope you feel welcome when you come into this place. All right, speaking of Mark and Carol, they also are in charge of a ministry out at the Ellsworth Air Force Base called Cadence International. It's associated with the CMA, and it's an outreach ministry to the airmen and airwomen uh, on base there. And uh, they're going to provide, 
guess what? A dinner. <laughs> and that's going to be this evening uh, from 5 to 8 p.m. And they just want to invite you to come out and fellowship with them and uh, learn a little bit more about this ministry, what they do and how they're involved in it, and how maybe we can be involved and come alongside uh, to encourage them in that. I have an address here, and uh, I don't know how good your memory is, and I don't think there's a slide for it, but I'm going to tell it to you. It is... 14810. 14810. Creekside Drive, Box Elder. And if you forget the address and you really want to go to that, that's Mark right back there. Wave your hand. There. Okay. So now you know who to go talk to. Say, how do I go to your house to get this free dinner that has been provided? <laughs> okay. And then we have one more announcement. And for this one, I've got to call Chris Romanenko up here because it involves work. But not how your thinking work. Good morning. Um, I'm Chris Romanenko. Um, so, announcement: There's a group that some friends and I started called F3. Um, it's a men's fellowship workout Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays at 5:30, um, and then Saturdays at six in the morning. Usually do like 45 minutes of body weight cardio workout, and then do go get coffee somewhere and have some fellowship for a while. Um, so. Just great way to start the morning. Usually get out of there early enough that I can run home, shower, and be ready for work. So um, get in touch with me if you're... We meet at the Berlin Wall next to the um, Civic Center. Um, so yeah, give holler at me if you have any questions or um, need any more information. So love to see you. Um, sorry, F3 stands for uh, Faith, Fellowship, and Fitness. So yeah. Okay. Good job, Chris. All right. That is the Berlin Wall near the Civic Center in Rapid City, South Dakota, not Berlin, Germany. <laughs> Just so we know all that. Uh, so there you go. There are some of the things that are going on. You can always go to our website to get more information. That's commongroundcma.org. And you can go to the uh, events and updates tab and uh, find out more about what, what's happening. Like I said, we like you to come in here and know that you are welcome. And we really like one another as a fellowship here to welcome one another. So before we continue, well, actually, as we continue in worship, because I think this is an act of worship too, uh, we just want to encourage you to get up out of your seats, mill around for a little while, go say hi to somebody, and uh, just uh, greet one another on this wonderful Sunday and Father's Day. Okay, I sounded awful in the last one. Good morning. Woo. 
energy level is at 700. Hey, Jonas. Hi, live stream. Did you say hi to your best friend, Kaylee? Yeah? Okay. Talking to Jonas. Jembe's. Excuse you. Uh, uncut gems. Uncut gems. I saw a video that was someone who was like my, I got engaged recently and my fiance got me a diamond, like a ring, but it's uncut diamonds, like they're raw diamonds. And so I actually get to tell people Was she also, wait, who was that meme? Who is that meme? That is Julia Fox. Okay, I was like, I did this myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, right? I probably. It do be like that.
this time is yours. Use it to mold us and shape us into kingdom people. We desire your presence and ask for more of your glorious work in our lives. Amen. We are now going to go into a time of offering. Um, so you'll be able to see the different options for giving on the screen. Um, I ask that you just pray about it. Um, ask God uh, what you can do uh, for his kingdom. And if that is giving, that is awesome. Um, it goes to missions and our community. And so just think about that. Uh, there's also the giving box in the back as well um, as whatever the options are on the screen. So. Um, we're now going to go into another song. In this song, you can feel free to sit. You can stand. Um, just, yeah, open yourself up to uh, worship and what God has for you.
Thank you for leading us in that team. I think it's a very fitting song to sing as we are in the Sermon on the Mount currently, which is some of the most famous teachings of Jesus. And at the end of his teachings, he says that if you listen to my words and build your life on them, um, and it's like building your house on the solid rock. Yeah, Jacob, would you help me? Um, and to hear my words, but to not build your life on them, is like building your life on the sand. And the storms come and wash them away. So thank you, ladies. Thank you for leading us in that. I took one here, Jake. Thanks. <laughs> um, so it's during this time that we continue on in worship where we enter into our time of prayer. Um, this is a time in which we set aside during our worship services um, to be intentional about prayer. I'm going to match up wherever you're at. Um, to be intentional about prayer uh, because we truly believe that prayer is entering into the presence of God, that we have access to the very throne of God, and we can bring to him our requests, our praises uh, to him. It's an opportunity for us to be authentic with one another as we share what it is that's going on in our lives, whether it be good, bad, confusing in between. Um, and it's an opportunity for us just to be active and to participate in worship. Um, and usually we open the floor for a bunch of requests and we hear what God is doing in your lives and we get to praise God for that. Or we hear what it is that you're asking him to do. Um, during this time, we're going to do a little something special today. And so I'm going to invite a few of you up right now. And that is... And we are going to be welcoming a few people in as official members of Common Ground Church. So I'll invite you up right now. You can come on up and join me on the platform here. Um, but we have these three uh, who have decided to become official members of Common Ground. A few months ago, we had a membership class, so we've been talking to these guys about this, what that means. Um, and I'll hand this to you. We also have Micah Healy. Uh, we have an adorable picture of Micah on here. Um, I don't know if you know this about Micah. He can't be with us here today, but he was the career fair champion uh, at South Dakota School of Mines. I don't know what that means, but I guess, like, if you wanted to hire him, sorry, uh, you're not going to get him. He's the career fair champion. But he can't be with us here today. Um, he's out of town, but he also um, was moving forward to make that step of becoming a member. And we're going to talk a bit about what being a member of a church means in a bit as we consider exactly that means. First and foremost, um, I just want to remind all of us that being a member of a church is not like being a member of a gym or a club um, for like the sauna or the tanning booths that we keep down in the basement. Um, <laughs> but if we wanted to fund that, you know, we could probably take, keep it at my house. But being a member of a church is like being a member of a body. It's uh, being an arm, a leg, a foot, an eye, an ear, so to speak. And it's a very different perspective than I think our culture typically has of membership. Um, but first and foremost, we'll just before we get into a whole lot of that, I'd like to hear from these guys. Um, first, how long you've attended uh, Common Ground? Um, and then you got the questions as well. So I guess we could just start kind of one at a time. But could you tell us just how long you've attended Common Ground, a little bit about kind of your faith story, what led to you making that commitment to be baptized, um, and then why it is that you've chosen to become a member and to take that step to be a member of this body? Sure. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name's Luke Carlson. Um, I'm a mind student, as are we all. Um, I mean, not you guys, us. Yeah. That's a good point. Jacob graduated. Good job, buddy. Anyway, um, so I've been going to Common Ground for five years now. Um, in the basement of the creamery is where I got my start. And I started going to Common Ground for the same reason a lot of us minds kids did. Um, it was the closest one to campus. But... Out of my, my choice born of convenience and the fact that somebody was willing to give me a ride or I could walk, um, I found a true family here. 
and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I grew up in the church, and I would say my home church is a very healthy one. I don't have any major religious trauma or anything like that growing up. Um, you know, like, so kind of becoming a Christian when I was, I think, 12-ish, you know, is when I was, like, making that step my own. Um, I would always have called myself a Christian, but, you know, I was, like, six. I didn't know if I, I don't know if I really knew what that meant yet, but when I was 12, I kind of took my first communion at a church camp, and kind of that was the moment where I was like, all right, this is my faith going forward, um, and, you know, it was the natural next step. Like, there was no other choice I could have made at that point. It just, everything I knew, everything I'd experienced, that's where I went, and I think the same thing is true with what I'm doing here today. Um, church attendance is great, but church membership is community and family. Um, it is a right and a privilege to me to be a member of the Common Ground Church, and I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I accept both the privileges and responsibilities that I have as a member of the church, and there was no other choice I could have made. Like you did that willingly, yeah. But I like how you said that. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm Audrey Dunn. Um, I've been attending Common Ground since like fall of 2020 when I transferred to Mines uh, from Gillette, um, and it's been pretty great. This person is responsible for uh, snatching me up and bringing me here before I could get to any other churches. So <laughs> it was one and done for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have a very similar story. Like I've grew up in a Christian home, always was familiar with the gospel and kind of understood what it meant, um, like in a general sense, but I didn't really know what it meant for me until I was about 12, um, well, 11, and I had a couple a couple of experiences. I was baptized when I was... It's not a race. <laughs> it's not. I'm just being accurate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a couple of experiences that... Uh, really made me see how Jesus was my savior personally and why he was the only one who could save me in particular um, as opposed to just the world at large. So once I had, um, you know, kind of gone through those things, I understood what it meant um, actually. And that's kind of when I made it my own and took the step of getting baptized. So that was 2012. And then, um, yeah, so why I want to be a member here is being part of a community means that you have to participate and you have to give of yourself um, and, and use your talents. Like God gives us each talents and skills and spiritual gifts that we're called to use for the edification of the church, which is the people. Um, so attending is good. It's the first step, but being plugged in and having a way to serve and to bless other people using what God has gifted you with is um, a responsibility that I believe all believers have. Um, so that's kind of why I chose to take this step today. Thanks. And thanks for running sound while you share that. So obviously she's <laughs> serving here. Yeah, uh, my name is Jacob Schlinkert. Um, I've become the Common Ground about two or three years, um, depending on when you want to count my start date. Um, but I came mostly because this one also told me to come. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I was I got I got baptized here in December. Um, for those of you that were here, and remember that. So, yeah, <laughs> Jacob chose to be baptized outside in December in South Dakota. So he really wanted to make it clear that he was making that commitment to follow Christ. 
Yeah. So unlike these two, I was over 20 when I got baptized. So can't one-up them. But <laughs> but yeah, so as um, since many of you probably heard my testimony, I won't bother going too far into it, of course. But uh, I grew up Catholic and then stopped going to church once I went to college because it just wasn't convenient anymore. Um, so to me, I haven't really, like, I don't have, like, a home church back home that, like, I can go to and, like, compare Common Ground to. So really, it was, like, this is my home church. And, like, this is the family that I want to, like, commit to and plug myself into. And so kind of being a member is just, like, something that I've never done before at a church. And, like, I've never had to, I don't know, decide whether to or not. And I just thought that it was the right thing to do. And I wanted to plug myself here because like I said, it's this is my home church instead of there's nothing back home uh, that can fill that so that was why that's, great. that's awesome well thank you guys and thank you for taking that step and I just want to take this opportunity um, to remind all of us um, just of kind of the seriousness that we view this step of taking the step to becoming a member um, of a church um, and I really I think about this in maybe a funny way to you but uh, my wife and I are celebrating seven years of marriage this summer and we uh oh yeah lucky number seven uh when we went on our honeymoon we went on a honeymoon to maui and we rented a little car a little chevy spark while we were there in maui chevy spark is like a small of a little car as you can get it basically had like skateboard wheels for tires and if you've ever been to maui you'll know that it's like very few of their roads are paved and most of it is just dirt roads and it rains a lot and when we were there in august it rained a ton and we're trying to go on all these hikes um, where you had to drive on these really muddy, nasty roads where the rain would just kind of wash it out. And we're just pounding through this mud in a tiny little Chevy Spark. And it was maybe a little scary and probably not great for the car as I'm, like, flooring it, like, drifting around muddy corners. Um, and there were some points along our drive where Lena was a little nervous, thinking, like, hey, you know, maybe we should be careful, um, especially with this little car. I mean, we're going over big bumps and stuff. And I just had to remind her, Lena, we don't have to be careful. It's a rental, you know? <laughs> Um, and I think this mindset is something that I, I think is a good picture of maybe the mindset that we don't want to have when it comes to our church um, is the comparison between owners and renters. Um, and I think the mindset that really we're called to have when it comes to our church family and our church body is to be an owner. Um, because renters, as we know, like if I do break the car, honestly, I can just return it back and it's not my problem. I'm not thinking about the next time that thing needs an oil change. I'm not saving up for the next time it gets new tires. Uh, it's really not my responsibility there. And we know um, many of us um, have been renters when it comes to our homes where if something's wrong, um, we just call someone else um, to come fix it. The landlord, the owner, is the one who's responsible for those things, and they're going to be the ones to fix it. And obviously, this is just a metaphor. I'm not saying that being a renter is bad. I'm not like full Dave Ramsey um, in that sense. Um, but I think the mindset that we're called to is to be the owner of our church, to have that ownership mindset not just a renter. Um, and I think it really comes down to that responsibility and kind of the permanence, um, being in it for the long term. And the person um, from the Bible that I think really epitomizes what this owner mindset is, I believe Barnabas gives us a good picture of that. Um, if you know the story of Barnabas, or I guess technically a guy named Joseph, but they nicknamed him Barnabas um, because it means some encouragement. Um, but I'm going to read a little section that talks from the four. Um, and this describe um, what I think this mindset that we're called to looks like. And so this is from Acts chapter 4, um, where it says this, that all the believers were one in heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas, um, he's a guy from Cyprus who was probably just in town. Some think that he gave his life to Christ there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit um, fell there. And maybe what you didn't know about Pentecost and and the 3,000 people that started following Jesus in that time was that they were from actually 15 different nations, 15 different um, ethnicities and people groups. But yet, all those different people with all their different kind of worldviews and different cultures, it says here um, that they were one in heart and one in mind. And I think that's a pretty good picture of how the church is supposed to be. Um, obviously, I don't think the early church was perfect. I think a lot of the times we can idolize really the early church, and a lot of people just preach that we got to get back to what it was like in Acts, because in Acts chapter 4, it looks really, really good. But if you keep reading on in Acts chapter 5, um, you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and you see that not everyone had a good time um, here at that early church. Um, but nonetheless, what we see from Barnabas is this ownership mindset, I think. Um, he sees the need. And he moves to meet that need. He really sees that it's his responsibility. That this is my family. This is my church. This is my community. And he moves to meet that need. And I think this is a really important thing for all of us to remember during this time is that really ownership is is that responsibility. It's that responsibility. And we have a lot of people who take responsibility and do a great job of that here. Um, I just think about like um, just Winter and Eileen or two that pop up on the first of my mind right away when it comes to like uh, when we built a nursery and Eileen was huge and helping set that up and decorate that and even um, with just trying to make this stage that is gaping and giant and we don't get to decide the paint colors or what it looks like but helping it to look a little better so that it's not a distraction and so that we can engage um, with God with our senses. Um, but these two saw that I am not artistically gifted. I'm not someone that maybe thinks of that stuff first thing. They see a need, they move to meet it, and they worked to help that. Um, and that's something that I think all of us are called to do when we see needs, um, to take that responsibility and ownership to think, well, I can actually have a part to play in solving that problem. Because I think that's really what Barnabas um, did, is he sees a need and he says, this is my responsibility um, to solve that need. And then I do think that part of the ownership mindset also is being more permanent, uh, being in it for the long haul, being in it for the long term. Uh, Barnabas, obviously, like he met a financial need. But what we see, if you continue reading on in his story, is he was in it uh, for the long term. Now, not only did he meet this need now, but the rest of his story goes on um, to show how he and Paul went on missionary journeys um, all around the Mediterranean there. And Barnabas then moved into a life of missions. Um, He was in it for the long haul to continue um, to commit his life to following Christ in that way. Um, and I think that this is one of the things we have to really grasp as well as we change our mindset to really view ourselves as owners in this place as well is that we're in it for the long haul, in it for the long term. Um, and especially as, you know, we kind of continue to use that image of, of maybe marriage where if Lan and I have been married for seven years, believe it or not, after seven years, she has discovered things about me that annoy her or that bother her. Maybe that aren't great. Um, But the picture that we have in the Bible of marriage is that when you get married, you become one flesh. And so to separate marriage is is separating flesh, a very serious thing. And the picture we have of the church 
in the Bible is of a body and many parts of a body. And so to separate a body is also a very big thing. It's a very serious thing to separate flesh. Um, and if you just take that analogy further and consider, you know, um, if my arm hurts and I go to the doctor and say, hey, you know, doc, my arm has really been hurting. Uh, and he says, okay, easy problem. We can just take that thing right off. Like, I'll probably go seek a second opinion. I'll probably uh, try to figure out if there's any other kind of treatment, any other thing I can do, stop doing, uh, find a way to keep my arm and to not um, sever that member of my body so that I can continue using that. And I think that's the metaphor that really we have to continue to lean into is really viewing um, one another as a part of the body. Um, and separation, the amputation, should not be taken lightly. I think, of course, there are some cases where that is the appropriate thing to do, where that's going to be the last option. That's going to be the only thing that we can do. And many of you know that um, from your experiences um, with marriage, where there are cases of, of abuse or infidelity where the only option is amputation there. And many of you have come from other churches, and you've had those experiences where you see the only option is um, separation there. But I think the mindset that we're called to have is to not take that lightly, to take it very seriously, um, that it truly is the separation of flesh and to consider um, that as like an amputation, as a cutting off of a limb. Um, and I think we have to take that very, very seriously and to consider, um, especially if we're going to be people who take ownership. Now, of course, I think we have to recognize as well, and I want you to hear that we love renters, and many of you are in this place um, where you're just visiting for a little bit, or maybe you are coming out of one of those seasons where it uh, you really had to be separated from your last church experience where there was or where there was a need essentially for amputation in that season. And I think we really have to be a place as well that is welcoming and loving to the renters, um, that we can be a place where people can come and they can heal. Maybe this is the first place you go to as you just start to give church another chance. Um, and I hope you know that this is a great place for you as well. Um, and it's my hope and desire that we could be a people who you come in for a season um, and you can just take another step closer to God um, where maybe the situations in the past had pushed you to want to separate yourself from him. And so really in this place, uh, if you're in that season of being a renter, then that is great. And would you just lean into that season as well? But it's truly our hope that as you are here in this place and healing and getting to know Christ, that eventually you take that step to realize, well, you know, I want to become an owner. I want to kind of cross that threshold. And maybe that means you go somewhere else and you become a member at another church. Um, because I recognize that we don't have everything everyone might want in a church, um, as some people want, you know, a big house with a pool. And as a church, we're definitely not that. Um, we don't have all the different things that people might be looking for. But what we do have is a community of people um, who can love you. Uh, we have the gospel and we have the message of Christ that we can bring to you. And so I hope that maybe if that's your situation of being a renter, that you know that, um, that you can lean into that season as well. Um, but some of you, uh, who even are owners in this place, you've been members here for a long time, I just want this to be a reminder to all of us um, to consider that question of, have I been an owner or a renter during this time? Um, what has been my mindset um, towards this place? Um, how is it that God might be calling me um, to step out to love these people around me? How is it that God might be calling me um, to get, commit myself more fully to loving these people, to loving Christ? And so I would just pose that question to you um, because I truly think that that as we love one another, um, that's really the display of Christ's body that other people around the world see. And so as we love one another, I think people outside this place, as we saw in Acts chapter 4 there, 
um, as they saw people were selling fields, giving to those in need, serving one another. Um, it's our hope that people would look at us and see, like, man, those are people who love one another in ways that nobody else does. And then we can answer that and say that it's because Jesus loved us first. So it's really our hope. And so during this time, I just want to thank you guys for making that commitment to not be renters, but to be owners. Um, and then I just want to ask you kind of three questions as you commit to this, and then we're going to pray for these guys. Um, but is it your desire and commitment to follow Jesus for all of your life? And do you commit to loving the people of common ground just as Jesus has loved you? And do you commit to sharing Jesus with Rapid City and to the entire world? Awesome. Well, thank you guys, and thank you for committing um, to this family for all the different ways that you serve. Um, It truly is a blessing to be part of a church where people do serve and love one another in these ways. Um, We just see so many great examples of that. And we're going to see a great example of that today, as, as Joey is actually going to be the one to preach today and putting himself in a very vulnerable position, teaching on a topic that maybe not everybody likes talking about, um, but really taking ownership in that sense. And so would you bow your heads with me as we pray? So, Father God, um, I pray that as the world looks at us, um, that they would see the way that we love one another and that they would be drawn to you. God, it's truly our desire to be a picture of your body, um, to be the manifest presence of you on this earth, that people would see in us your face, that they would see your hands and your feet. And so I just thank you for these three, uh, the testimony that they give um, to your goodness. And God, would this be a time in which you remind all of us of the calling that you've placed on us, um, to love one another as you've loved us, um, to take seriously this picture of the body that you have given us, um, to truly Um, grasp this mindset that that Barnabas had. Would you continue to grow in us those giftings? Um, I just pray for myself, God, um, would I be a person that maybe could be like Barnabas, um, be called a son of encouragement? God, would you just continue to equip me to love this body in that same way? And Father, as we we celebrate on these three in our family, uh, would you just continue to equip them uh, with the gifts that you've given them Um, to serve and to grow your body? And would you equip the rest of us um, to welcome them in and to love on them in the ways that you've loved us? And Jesus, as we turn our attention to your word, we just pray for Joey during this time. We pray that your spirit uh, would fall on him, that you would increase, that he would decrease. And would we all be prepared um, to receive from you, to receive from you a message that you have placed on his heart, that you have placed in your word, Um, for the transformation of our lives, um, to bring us closer to yourself. And so, Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks again, guys. Can we hear it again um, for these guys here for sharing? together before we jump into this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth and in this sermon and in this body, just as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread from your word and from yourself, for you are the bread of life. Forgive us our debts and teach us to forgive our debtors 
especially as we navigate this difficult topic, Lord, that is in your word. And Lord, lastly, especially pertinent to this teaching, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, to you belongs all glory, honor, and power forever. Amen. All right, so as Evan mentioned, my name is Joey, and I'm a member of Common Ground, and as of this last Monday, I am an engineer. Um, (laughs) I'm not a pastor or an elder, but I have been invited by Evan to preach the word today. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm thankful to do that. And I just want to say also at the outset that um, this was not planned, that this particular passage was to be preached on Father's Day, but that's just how it lined up. So, um, yeah, so um, for almost two months, our church has been going through what is often known as Jesus's most famous set of teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. And leading up to the delivery of Jesus's sermon, we are told in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus is just beginning to preach the word to the surrounding regions and all who are following him from Galilee. Opening with the words in Matthew 4, 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In many ways, we can view this charge as the main point for Matthew 5 through 7, which is the main body of the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we will be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, and we will see that this call to repent is essential to the subject matter of this teaching, lust and adultery. And it's at this point that I want to warn you that this teaching may trigger some feelings for you. Whether discomfort, guilt, shame, embarrassments, and or many others, understand that it is not my goal to heap guilt or shame upon you, nor is it Jesus' goal. My goal is to explain our Lord's words fitly, that by the full power and guidance of the Holy Spirit from my words into your ears, that this word may bring repentance as Jesus says. Now again, I want to emphasize, I hope to deliver this word gently, lovingly, and in a manner that builds you up. I also want to deliver it truthfully. And I have been somewhat nervous preparing for this because these truths of adultery in our world hurt. Some of you may very well know the visceral hurt that it causes. And my heart goes out to you people, and so does our Lord's. But I hope you will find as I did when this passage empowered me in my fight against watching pornography in high school, that there is hope in Christ and in his word. And there is a more profound joy in him and in, the repentant, or in, in his redemption of us and our sin and the pain uh, than you could have ever imagined. Because you see, this repentance that Jesus speaks of is not merely dwelling on guilt nor is it a brash call to just stop it. Repentance, and Jesus' aim for you, is to be deeply convicted of sin, to have a desperate, heartfelt need of a sinless Savior. Giving our sin to Jesus and realizing the soul-satisfying truth that Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, death, resurrection, and ascension, in which he submitted himself to the Father's will and faced the fire of God's just wrath on our behalf, and conquered death and our sin by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, thus giving us eternal life in his name, that this Jesus, our Jesus, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of unrighteousness. It's only by faith in him that we may be forgiven, and it's only by faith in him 
that we may have the power to follow his instruction and to slay our sin as we walk with him on this earth. So with that, let's read Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray again. Father, as we come before you with this difficult teaching, Lord, we just offer up ourselves to you. Lord, even as we sang this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to show us your power to overcome our sin. Help us to rest firmly on the foundation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Lord, knowing that he has fully atoned for our sins and the work is complete. It is finished, is what he said. But Lord, at the same time, we still feel the consequences of sin in this fallen earth. Some of us very personally in regards to this topic of lust and adultery. So Lord, I just pray that you would be with everyone here. That as we come to hear from you, that you would increase, that I would decrease. And that we would all worship you with a heart of thanks and praise. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So before jumping into the bulk of the passage, I do just want to give a little bit of explanation of what Jesus has preached in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. We see he opens the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. This is something we must remember, the blessed are statements. Christ wants to bless us through this sermon. He does not seek to tear away our joy through his commandments regarding lust and adultery or to heap shame on us with telling us the truth of our sinful condition. But he wants to lead us in the way of blessing and everlasting life. Next, Jesus spoke of salt and light, in which how his body, his people, are supposed to be his witnesses on this earth, both in scattering his word and his love abroad as one scatters salt, and also coming together as one body to shine his light to the world. This applies as well, because, you see, not all of us face sin in the same capacity. Some of you may not struggle with lust as others do, but still, as one body, as we even just heard from Evan's little uh, membership sermonette, that (laughs) uh, we can come together and help each other and build each other up in Christ. So it's, yeah, it's an amazing gift, and we need to remember that. Next, Jesus talked about how he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And the command that Jesus gives is very simple, don't commit adultery. And Jesus explains in Matthew 5.19 that whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we'll see that Jesus takes it right to the heart, showing us that we are all guilty of committing this sin. And his standard of righteousness is not one that we can attain. But he has attained it for us. given, And he gives us the power through his spirit to overcome it. As Evan showed when he preached this passage a couple weeks ago, we both cannot do it, but we also can through his power. 
So we need to remember that. So let's get into it. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. The command is very simple. You shall not commit adultery. And generally, I think people don't need to be told this. People from all ages know that adultery is bad. The crowds that Jesus spoke to did, hence, you have heard it said. So much so that many defenses of adultery are utterly absurd. Almost everyone knows that every excuse for adultery is a bad one. In high school, I once heard a story of one of my classmates who had cheated on his girlfriend, and then when asked why he did it, he said, I forgot that we were dating. That excuse is so bad. There is no good justification for cheating on someone. And even in that culture of public high school, that very highly values free sexual expression and activity, shows signs of this. This person who cheated could not confront the truth of his cheating with his own words. So sexually free, but still knowing his wrongs. It's very easy to understand. But still, I think understanding what the biblical view of adultery uh, is starts with knowing what the biblical view of sex is. So I want to talk about that for a little bit. And I think a good summary is found in Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 18. So I'll be quoting from the New Living Translation, which says, Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets? having sex with just anyone. You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing to you and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Because you see, God created sex, and he said that it was good. He designed it as a gift to humanity, uniting in a man and a woman in physical oneness in the flesh. Like fresh spring water, it is a gift. It is a precious gift. Sex is also what God chose to use to bring new souls into the world. It is certainly an important thing. None of us would be here without sex. And our culture is not completely wrong in having this high view of sex. They think it's very important to their identity. And I think the Bible preaches the same in a certain sense. Of course, it can be warped, but the fundamental principle that sex is good is there. And also, like Proverbs shows, like with much of the Sermon on the Mount, God did not make sex or the, put the boundaries on sex to keep us from joy, but to fulfill our joy in him and for spouses in each other. The command to not commit adultery is not an inhibition of the pleasures of sex, but rather a guard to protect us from the damage that promiscuity brings and to, as Proverbs says, provide us a fountain of blessing or commanded to rejoice in our spouse. So then how else does Jesus think of adultery if sex is so precious in his eyes? Well, quite simply, it's a violation of this sacred marriage union that sex is supposed to be devoted to. Hebrews puts it plainly, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. He also views it as idolatry. See, in the Old Testament, Israel is often described as whoring after other gods, as cheating on God, their covenant God, the one who has called him his bride. And this is something that they're constantly guilty of, and it's something that we need to understand as well. Because God, the covenant between him and his people, is like a covenant between a husband and wife. God loves us as the perfect husband, 
He does not objectify us or cheat on us. But it is not so the other way around. The prophet Hosea is tasked with marrying a prostitute. And God chooses Hosea for this very difficult and awful thing to show how God feels when his people cheat on him. God doesn't want us to commit adultery, and it is for our good. There's an example from our culture in recent years that very, very uh, easily demonstrates the hurt that adultery brings. And that is through a website called Ashley Madison that, unfortunately, is still active today. Uh, It is a website that facilitates adulterous affairs. And in 2015, uh, this website was hacked, and its users were leaked to the public. After countless confrontations from faithful spouses to unfaithful spouses, countless lives were ruined. It is truly a tragedy of our age. So many, even pastors and ministry leaders, committed suicide because this was found out. It is awful. And again, some of you may know too well this pain, and I am sorry, and so is Jesus. But I encourage you, Jesus does not want this hurt for us. So that being said, if we haven't done the act, we're good, right? That's all it says so far. You heard it said, you shouldn't commit adultery. If you haven't done it, it should be good, right? That's probably what the crowds thought. That's almost certainly what the Jewish religious leaders thought. But no, if we keep reading, we know that we are not good. Because Jesus' definition of adultery takes it to the heart. He says in verse 28, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what does this mean? Well, Jesus says first that everyone who commits it, not just Not just men, not just women, but both. The standard applies to all people, all ages, all sexes, you name it. Then we see that it's everyone who looks. This is a sin of looking, not just of doing. Anything that arouses lust in you through your eyes falls into this category. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will describe uh, the eye as the lamp of the body. And he says... In Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great then is the darkness? What comes through your eyes will inform your body. If your light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness in you? And this is where I, again, have personal experience with the horror of this a particular sin of lust in which I was trapped in watching pornography in high school. It wreaked havoc in my life, and it was all because I was looking on things that I shouldn't have been looking at, things that aroused lustful desire in my heart. It wreaked havoc in my life, and it does so in our culture at large. Next, Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman. Now remember, this fits grammatically. Jesus did say, everyone who looks But the subject, understand that Jesus was still primarily talking to men who did have and still have today more commonly used and abused the other sex to satisfy lustful desire. And as cliche as it is, Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. 
<laughs> and especially considering that in marriage, a husband is the head of a wife, as Christ is the head of the church, the call for a husband is to love his wife and give himself up for her as Christ did. So to abuse that responsibility is so devastating in marriages and in our world at large. And then this next part, the most important part of this verse. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Lustful intent. The Greek word that is used in this section for lustful is called epithemeo. Epithemeo. And what it means is simply desiring of or coveting. It is used throughout the New Testament. Sometimes it is used in a good context. Sometimes it is used in a bad context. A good example is found in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and instituting communion. He says to them, I have earnestly desired, epithemeo, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's also a bad example, which there are many bad examples, but one I chose from is in Revelation, in which the final judgment is being offered to unbelievers. And it says, in those days, people will seek death, and they will not find it. They will long, epithemeo, to die, but death will flee from them. Remember this, that because this word can be used in good and bad, I think that shows, again, that longing for sex in and of itself is not bad. It is good to long for your spouse. Even if you are not yet married but anticipating marriage, it is a good desire to have. It is a God-given desire. But it can very easily be misplaced. There are sacred boundaries for sexual relations. And then the second part of lustful intent is the intent. It doesn't just happen. It is intended. And there's a difference here, I think, between... Uh, this shows that there is a difference between being tempted and committing sin. Jesus himself was tempted, even in the previous chapter, by the devil himself. But he never sinned. And right now, in our culture, this is very relevant because we can't go anywhere in public without seeing soft porn on billboards or anything else. We aren't expected never to be exposed to temptation. But we are commanded to do rightly with what we are tempted by. Often... It isn't the first look that is sin. It is the second look. It's like how at restaurants, they put the pictures of the desserts on the table right when you sit down. The first glance isn't much. But because it's there, you look again, and you look again, and you look again and again and again, until finally they're hoping for that you would just cave and get the dessert, that that desire will be overwhelming enough to make you buy it. I think we can think of it in the same way in regards to lust. It's not the first look, it's the second look. The intent that we have when we look. And then, what does Jesus say finally to end this verse? Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, if you've looked lustfully, you have sinned. You have committed adultery. We have violated the pure and sacred God-given gifts of sex and marriage through our lust. In other words, by doing this in our hearts... We are subject to the plethora of judgments that God gives adulterers. And I know that if this is where it ended, I would be in terror and ruin. I would be scared. And I was scared when I was trapped in this in high school. But is that where it ends? No. Because there are hopeful words in the Bible. 
two of them being from Ephesians 2. Because it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Such hopeful words. Because you see, our Lord does not leave us with congratulations. You've committed adultery. His desire for us is to be free of its shackles. He says, Jesus himself says to people, to the Pharisees who are accusing him, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. We have been redeemed in Christ. The gospel is true. Praise the Lord. Remember this. When you, even when you're in your darkest valley, he has saved you. If we go on in Ephesians, 10, or in Ephesians 2, we learn also that we are redeemed for a reason. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are, re- we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been redeemed from our sin for the purpose of good works. In other words, not only are our past, present, and future atoned for, but we can, through him, get out of this trap of lust. Our former acts, thoughts, and desires of lust have made us dead. But Jesus has given us a redeemed purpose as his workmanship, which for this passage means to be sexually whole, to have the right and good sexual desire and activity that it may give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And how does this happen? By faith in Christ. It starts with repentance and giving our sin to him, knowing that he has forgiven us. If we confess our sins, remember, he is faithful to forgive. I think this is a good time also to apply our newfound knowledge in Hebrews, which in Hebrews chapter 4 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us, excuse me, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this is key. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Christ abundantly supplies mercy for the fight, and when we are most desperate, he is there. And while the text doesn't explicitly mention all the ways Jesus does help us, we know that he has given us his word for instruction and comfort in his promises. He has given us prayer for a healthy, sustained relationship with him and that we can offer our requests to God and he hears us. He's given us other people in the church who know and love us and want to show us the love of Christ in so many other ways. God gives us all of these things as means to fight our sin. But also here in this text, in Matthew, we do hear, we do see that he does give very practical instruction that we may be rid of our lustful and adulterous hearts. So what does Jesus mean when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away? For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, two things it doesn't mean. First, Jesus is not teaching literally. Why? Many reasons. But one of the most compelling ones to me is that doing these things, cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye, that actually doesn't go far enough. That won't prevent, like gouging out your right eye or your cutting off your right hand will not prevent your left eye or your left hand from sitting by looking or touching, nor will it prevent your heart from lusting. Jesus just said it's a matter of the heart, so how will cutting off a member help you? So, don't mutilate yourself, please. <laughs> the second thing, it's not. It is not a threat to our salvation. Remember that in Christ, our sin is atoned for. There is no valley of unending fire for those who are in him. However, that does not mean that believers cannot still suffer the consequences of their own sin. And in a way, this was made clear to me when learning that believers can actually still, quote, be judged for our sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I typically have associated God's judgment with his righteous justice on all sin that will ultimately lead to eternal punishment. That's how I've thought about it. But you see, there's another way that we can understand God's judgment, which is found in 1 Corinthians 11. For Paul, when he's rebuking the Corinthians for misusing communion, he says this to them. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. For believers, God disciplines us. He will allow us to go through a fire of sorts, but that's in order to purify us and to sanctify us, not to punish us for all eternity like unbelievers. If we are in Christ, we are safe and secure in Jesus, and he will only discipline us for our good. So what does this teaching mean? If it's not literal, if it's not a threat to our salvation, what does it actually mean to cut off our members? Well, essentially, it means that he's wanting us to cut out areas of our life that lead us into perpetual sin. Our members are not sin in and of themselves that we need to cut out. And remember again that sexual desire in this way is not sin, nor are things that encourage that desire in the proper context. But these things still can cause us to sin and lust. Because that's what it says. If your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. And then Jesus tells us, by the power of the Spirit, eliminate those things. Cut it off and throw it away. If you're feeling trapped and desire to be free, that is a strong sign that the Spirit is working in you for your good. That is a good first step. But it's still a sacrifice. He calls you to throw it away. He calls all of us to throw it away. That means it'll hurt. You will lose something that is precious to you, but it is for the better. And I do also think that this analogy that he uses shows us that these things that cause us to sin are often very tangible, and I would even say physical. So whether it's deleting an app, not going certain places, or I would even say if the situation warrants not being with certain people, 
These are all means that we can apply, or all ways that we can apply this principle of cutting off things that cause us to sin. For it is better to lose one member than to be wholly thrown in hell. It's the same logic as Matthew 16, where Jesus says also, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Sure, you may get to keep your hand or your eye if you don't cut it off, but it will be a net loss for you. And remember, at all of this, what Jesus tells us here, the practical instruction that he gives us to slay our sin, it comes through his power that he has given us to overcome. He's given us his body, he's given us prayers, given his word, so many tools to slay it. But it will be a sacrifice. So to tell um, of these principles, to demonstrate these principles in a more personal way, um, I want to take some time to tell of my personal story with uh, pornography and how the Lord used these principles, I didn't even realize it at the time, to help me fight my sin. So um, it was when I first started public high school, I didn't go to public high school or public middle school or anything, um, that's, that's when I first became exposed to the fact that people actually, you know, watch this stuff and talk about this stuff like it's nothing. Um, and I became curious, and that quickly led to enslavement. I became ensnared in watching porn. And in high school, with the money I had saved up, um, I had bought an iPad. And it did help me for, like, school, and it was fun to, like, play games on there or whatever. But I also used it to watch. And it caused me to sin in that way. And all throughout high school, I hated the fact that I was trapped in this so much more and more. It was like four years where I thought that if I could just do this secretly, I could get out of this secretly, I would be all good. I wouldn't have to tell anyone. And my shame would be saved. Or my dignity would be saved. But I just found that in my own efforts, I failed over and over again. There was one time my junior year where I thought I was free. I thought I was free. But then it came crashing down even harder than it ever did before. And I was so hurt. I was so desperate. And one night, during my senior year, I became so desperate and angry with myself that after one night, when I had committed the sin using the iPad that I had bought, I went to the garage and I took a hammer and I smashed it to bits and I threw it away. I was so angry. I was not thinking about how much it cost me for that iPad at that moment. I was thinking, I need to get out of this now. And I see that this is causing me to sin. But you see, none of that was uniquely Christian at the time. But as the Lord would have it, less than a week later, he put it on my heart to confess that I had been watching porn to my parents and to my youth group leader. He convicted me deeply with his word, specifically with the fact that Jesus in the garden, he sweated blood thinking of the wrath of God that he would face. I thought, Jesus did not sweat blood. He did not die on a cross for me to watch porn and waste my life. And by his grace, though the road was long, I have been free of this sin for a long time. And all praise be to him for it. So remember, even as I tell that story, that my iPad itself was not sin. 
but it did cause me to sin. When I threw it away, when I cut it off and threw it away, I did lose the good things that came with it. I had to figure out how else I was going to play games on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) But the benefit I gained from throwing it away was far more than I lost. And finally, I finally felt free when I gave it to the Lord and repented. When I told people around me who loved me and wanted to care for me and lead me in the way of life as Christ would, that is when I felt like I broke free. And again, though the road was long, though it was hard work to break old habits, I could not have done it with the Lord's strength apart from him and through the help of others. So with that, I want to remind you again of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. So, I would ask you now, is there anything that you ought to confess? Anything that you need to cut off? Think of these things. Even if it hurts, think of them and offer them to the Lord. He does not meet you with shame. He meets you with grace. He loves you. He wants to wash you clean. Our sins are red as scarlet, but now we are white as snow. All this has been done through him and only through him. So look to him in this time of need. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I am just overwhelmed by the remembrance of your grace to me in that time when I was enslaved to sin. Lord, even now, in our fallen world, we see the effects of lust and adultery all throughout our lives, in our world at large, and even sometimes very personally. And Lord, it hurts so much But God, you are one who has said to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, let us confess our sins to you. We offer up this as a sacrifice to you, which you have cleansed, you have made holy and acceptable. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That's all we can say. Thank you. All glory to be be to you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. this week. Um, I knew that I really wanted to play Be Thou My Vision um, because it's just like something I've been thinking about. Just It's definitely like a prayer. It's a prayer. Um, And um, as I was looking for different versions, I was coming across um, ones that had like a key change and I was like, I can't do that. (laughs) And um, I was looking at them and just like trying to find one that like wasn't like too hard that I could actually just like worship with um, and I came across this one that has an extra verse in it uh, that I did not know but in reading it and in playing it I was like wow this is this is pretty convicting um, and uh, I thought it went well with uh, 
uh, Joey's message too. So uh, I'm just going to read this to you. Um, but it says, be my compassion, my love for the poor. Break my distraction so I can't ignore uh, the least of your children, the ones you adore. For by them, Jesus, I worship you, Lord. Um, and just that, that part that said, um, break my distraction so I can't ignore. Uh, that really hit hard. So while we're um, singing this song, I just want to invite you guys to uh, think about the lyrics. Um, if it's easier for you um, to like think and pray them uh, without singing, then you can do that. If you feel like praying is uh, happens easily when you're singing, um, I encourage you to do that too. But just really think it and pray it out as we worship.
benediction. Just want to let you know that uh, the kids downstairs have prepared some gifts for all the fathers in here, so they should be up shortly with that. Um, but at the end, I just want to leave you again with the words of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, which says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace and peace, common ground. Have a great week.